So I'm going to do tonight just a little bit different than, than usual. Just I, I, you'll, you'll bear with me. Um, so there was a person who was after this week. His name his name is Rabbi Avi Shulman, uh, and uh, I was close to Avi. I learned the tremendous amount from Avi. I want to share some things that I learned learned from him, etc. Um, so. My first interface with the Rabbi Shulman was uh, since I'm well true, I didn't go home for Yom Yom Tovim. I used to go to <clears throat> primarily to Muncie. So one of the Rebbeim and Tells was close to the Rabbi. suggested I would gain tremendously by spending a Shabbos. It's one of the yumps of the meals by Rabbi Shulman. I was going to stay in my different family. He lived in Muncie. Uh, and so I went to him for a Suda. I think the first time I went to him for a Suda was in 1976. I went to him for a Suda on Pesach. Um, it was quite an experience, large family, like along the lines of cheaper by the dozen, you know, Galbraith Gail, type of a, you know, they, they bought, the, all the boys wore the same suit, they, they, it's like this dark green suit they bought on sale, every, all different sizes, and there was hand-me-downs from the oldest one to the youngest one, like, it was very, that type of a situation. Um, so his second oldest son made a him. So I was came from the city, so there's a lot, a lot of people there, etc. And I was put up in the front next to Ravi because uh, I was a guest. So guests would put up in the front. Uh, then at the end of the meal, they invited some guests to come over for. They made it, they're making a seum. The oldest, the second oldest son was making a seum in Mishnayis Shas. He's 15 years old, making a seum in Mishnayis Mishnayis. So they invited a few close family friends. The, you know, for Muncie, this is Muncie back in 76. It was like, you know, different city than what it is now, lots, much smaller, etc. So a few close family friends were going to come for the scene, as they told me. So so who were these few close family friends which came for the scene? Rechel Kamenetsky, um, Rafaelson, Roshiva, Beishraga, Rebreslau were the rubber of the Deca Shashul, etc. Like, that was the family friends which came. So I'm sitting in the front next to Rabavi, and of course Rabavi comes and they put Rabavi down right, right next to me. So I had this experience of sitting next to Rabavi. Um, he stayed for quite some time and he shmooze and but people asked him questions. He said a hadra in the last Mishnah, which uh, all of Yiddish, of course. My Yiddish was, I was, you know, I followed most of it, not everything. Um, spoke about the Muslim Rechloikis, he spoke about the Seder Limit in, the, in, in Europe, etc. And I had this phenomenal experience of sitting next to Rebiaka for an hour and a half. Rebiaka stayed for an hour and a half. So that was my first experience with the, the Shulman household. Um, but I'm going to tell you an interface which I had with him much later on, which I will use as a vehicle to understand his life a little bit. So um, in 1996, so this is 20 years later, so already been married thirteen years, and I was I, I was um, became a rebbe in in Tel Zeshiva, in the tenth grade rebbe in Tel Zeshiva. So my regish was I'm going to become a rebbe. You know the kabbalah for him and the royim, the right kabbalah is to, to be the best rebbe you could, that you could be. That's what it means. You know you want to, if you have a responsibility, do it as best as you can. So my kabbalah for him and the royim was to be the best rebbe that I could. I had taken a goal-setting course with the Ravi Shulman um, in 1982. So, a few, like a month or two after, like a month after Sukkot, you know, shortly after Sukkot, so with a few weeks after Sukkot, he came to Cleveland to speak. He was a well-known public speaker. 
And she came out to Yeshiva to visit. He, was, he learned the tells for a period of time. He was close with, with the Yeshivas, etc. So I contacted him. If I, you know, I could ask him some answers about this idea. Like, what, what, what does he think would be things that I should undertake to do, which would be a vehicle to be a good 10th grade rabbi? So he said to me, Ellie, walk with me. So we went for a walk. He wanted to stop by all the Rosh and Rebbesons just to say hello. So Rosh he'd seen a lot of them. Yeshiva, but the Rebbesons, a lot of them, he wanted to stop. So he went from house to house. And each house he stopped, and he spent the average between two and two to five minutes schmoozing with the Rebbesson. Then he, I'm sorry, Rebbesson, I have to, I, I, wonder, I wish I could stay longer. Let's go by to Very, that was the type of person he was, like always accomplishing. So he says to me, okay, this is what I want you to do. He says he was, he was staying overnight. He says, Tomorrow, come back to me. If I want you to dream, if you had no limitation in time or money, what were 10 to 12 things you would like to do to make yourself a better 10th grade rabbi? So he threw the question back at me. He says, think about it tonight and come back and let's talk about it again tomorrow. So that night I sat down and I thought it came up with 15 things I would like to work on to be the, I felt with, if I could, if I could do these things, I would be the, be- the best century ever I could be. So, uh, and, you know, the range of things were, were, one thing was I wanted to move, go back to Israel and spend time with talking to a bulb about Chinuch. One of them was I would want to get a hadracha from the from Gedarlim. One of the important hashkafas that tenth tamidim should be should be given over during the year. One of them was I wanted to take some psychology courses. One of them I wanted to get some take some chinuch courses. One of them I wanted to to uh, master certain you know, the areas halacha. I wanted to make sure that they knew. And I, I came up with fifteen different things. So the next day we met again. So, I met, so he said, don't give me 15 things. You know, I mentioned one or two, he said, that's fine, okay. Take a, take a loose leaf notebook with dividers and make 15 sections. And each section, right, right on the top of the section, one of those, one of those ideas. And every Mosheh Shabbos, open up the book and go through those 15 things and ask yourself, what can you do this week to make one of these things into a reality? Change it from a dream into something which could be real. And that's what I did. So, the uh, and because of that, I opportunities which came my way, which I would not necessarily have take, benefited from, I, it, because these thoughts were in, in the forefront of my mind. Opportunities came my way. I took advantage of some of them. So, a goal came to visit. I went over and asked him if he could give me one ashkafa that he felt important that the tenth grader should walk away with. What would that be? And I asked that question to multiple different gedolim. Over the year that I happened to meet, pace of time, I mean, you know, I was in Baltimore. I asked her, uh, Taub, I asked her, Marsha Eisman, I asked, et cetera. Besides, then I asked the Raymond Tells, you know, what they thought. And I made a list of different ideas, and I used that as my different topic, Hashkafa topic that I went through with the, with the guys over the year, etc. But that story encapsulates Robbie Shulman. So we, I t- we took a goal setting course in 1982. He was, uh, he learned the tells, they think he learned the liquid in a period of time also. Then he became a Rebbe. He was, he was a kindergarten Rebbe for, for many years, a first grade Rebbe. I'm not sure. Um, I asked him, eventually he left that. He started working for Tarim Sarah. He was the person who developed the concept together with Gabriel Ginsburg, Aleyah Masholem. Together they created the concept called Project Seed. 
See, was this idea that you're going to take Bachar from yeshivas and send them into communities in the summer, summer educa- education, enrichment, of, and development. Eventually, they took off. It didn't mean anything. It just meant seed. <laughs> like, you know, they stopped making a beer, Rosh Hashanah. So, um, and the, he, they organized communities where would be willing to bring in a group of Bacharim for two to three weeks over the summer. And they would sit and learn in the community. Uh, that was one of his projects that he developed. And he started working with Termasara, doing these type of things. Now, Termasara had a teacher's training program, but he added in the teacher's training program things which weren't in there before. He added in goal setting. And he started giving a, a course in goal setting for a He started giving a course in public speaking uh, for B'nai Torah. He started giving, it said different things that he started adding, developing. He wrote books about it. I have a wonderful book called Lifelines. No, I, better, I, I had a wonderful book called Lifelines which many of these different ideas he developed over there, fascinating ideas, dealing with different situations, etc. Of course, I lent it to somebody recently, and I have no recollection of who it is. And uh, it's out of print, and it's, it's available on Amazon for like a million dollars, you know. Um, you know I like, it's it's like 50, 60 bucks, you know. Like, uh, selling it, right? It's selling it on Amazon for, you know. Um, so he recreated himself. So I once asked him, like, you know, like, w- w- what made you decide to do that? So he said, jokingly, he said, one day I came home, you know, I was, you know, I, I was at home, and my wife asked me, what time is it? They said, the big hen is on the three, and the little hen is on the, is on, is on the 12, you know. And um, I said, you know what, I think it's time to get out of teaching first grade. And I'm des- describing the, the hands of the clock to my wife to tell her what time it is, it's time to move on. Um, he had a good sense of humor, but that's what he did. He, he he set goals for himself, and from that goal setting program, I remember I sat down as, as, back in '82. I was a barker still, I married '83. I sat down and I made a list of swarim in the world, ashkafa muster swarim which I want to master. I made myself a master a list of things that I want to accomplish. I started working on them, etc. So I brought in. Um, we, we all got got this. This notebook, it's backwards, effective public speaking. And there was, in, inside there, there was a whole section on goal setting. So each goal, to, write a, to be a goal, it has to meet six requirements. It has to be specific. The sharper you can find the target, the more chance you have of reaching it. You cannot hit a target you can't see. Is it measurable? Use specific amounts of numbers. Is it specific in duration? How long should the police on this goal take? Is it obtainable? Have others done it? Can you do it? Is it compatible with time, skills, attitude, and environmental influences? Do you believe in your ability to reach the objective? So this is the this is worksheet B. Just to get get to create worksheet A was a list of dreams. Okay. Then after you do worksheet B, you do worksheet C. So worksheet C. To be a goal, it must be specific. It repeats the six points. Writes the, down. You have to write down for yourself. He was very big. He was very good to writing things. The goal, goal completion date, present position. What are your positive and negative positions? What are your difficult things you you don't feel you have the skills for? What things you do have the skills for? What are the benefits that you gain out of this goal? Why do you, why are you motivated to do it? What are you willing to invest in of time, effort, money, or trade off? What are you willing to invest in this? Plan of action and time sequence. And he has each one item plus date. Obstacles. What obstacles do you foresee, and what are your plans to overcome the obstacles? 
And what rewards are you giving yourself? Then there's a mid-course correction. The evaluation and change and a date. When was the goal reached? What can I learn? What did I learn from, that can help me in future goal setting? And then, so that was worksheet. And then he had time management. So it was basically a sheet of paper which you could fold into into you fold it in half and then into, into thirds. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday night was for reviewing your goals. And each day, is what I'm doing now, moving closer to one of my goals. So each day you looked and you see the paper, you saw this, saw this question. You challenged yourself in that question. Then we, he gave us this program. Was, the program was two weeks long. It was, it was, it was, I'm going to say it was like 12 days. It was, I think it was 11 days. It was like two weeks of Shabbos we had off. Uh, it was seven hours of classes a day for two weeks straight. Um, there was Rebecca Eisman, Shlita, before Shlema, gave an appreciation of Tanakh, how to learn Tanakh properly. Rebecca Kramer, Shlita, gave a classroom management class. Rabbi Shulman gave public speaking and time management and goal setting. But each day that we were there, every member of the class, there was 14 people in the class, each member of the class had to give a speech. Three minutes in duration. He had a stopwatch. Three minutes in duration, everybody had, 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 had to do that. To get used to speaking, his point was, if you're excited about something, you're interested in something, you're what to say, it's going to come out good. He did not correct for ums and ohs and all those different type of things. He corrected for content. So I gave a speech. One of the speeches I gave was a fundraising speech. So at the end, he says, okay, but you didn't tell me where to bring the check. So it's not an effective fundraising speech. You know, he, didn't, he didn't challenge you on the fact that you, you said um too many times, that type of thing. Now, I had taken, taken speech class in high school, and I failed speech class in high school. I was scared to get up in front of a class, and I would pause too long, and I would say um and ah and all different things. And this teacher took off for all of those things. So I failed the class. Um, that was other than that there was only I would have been valedictorian on my class but that was like that mark you know brought down my, my grade average but Baruch Hashem I didn't want to give valedictory anyway so what's a valedictorian doesn't want to give the valedictory because I didn't want to <laughs> public speaking um, I already decided before that that I wanted master public speaking but I didn't really have a vehicle to do it so here was this great I, so um um, so he, every time he gave a speech, we had to fill out, we had to fill out a sheet. Let's see if we can find the sheets for that. Okay. Okay. Work your day. Again. Okay, objective. What is the purpose of this speech? Is it to entertain, inform, convince, actuate, teach other? Who is my audience? Where am I speaking? How much time is allocated? So, when I was honored by Tel Shiva, um, they, the, the honoree the previous year, uh, or previous year or two before that, had spoken quite long, rambled on, etc. 
say they decided they're going to do this new thing, they're going to just have the, going to interview the person beforehand with the video, and they're going to edit the video and show the video. Now, they didn't tell me that that's what they were doing. I, I was edited with the video. I, said, I didn't tell me that's replacing the speech. So I come there, and I'm, I'm informed as I, when I get there, you know, like the, the day of, that, that that's it. I went over to the MC and I said, you know, I said, you have two choices. I'm getting up to speak. Either you can accept that fact and introduce me, or not accept the fact, but I'm getting up to speak either way. He said, but I promise you I will speak in less than five minutes. I spoke for four minutes and 47 seconds. And he came up to me and says, you know that your speech was the highlight of the dinner. He says, but the problem is you're a public speaker and you're used to the idea that if you have five minutes, you use five minutes. But the average human being who told me you have five minutes, he speaks for 15. Right? Now, I, I have no idea why that's true, but that was one of these things that said, how many, how many minutes do you have? One of the questions he also asked you, how many other speakers are there? You're the 17th speaker. You get up and say, thank you for coming and have a good night. You sit down. Like, you, know, you have to use seichel. Uh, so are you speaking in a shul? Are you speaking in a hall? Where you, what, so that changes the flavor of the speech. Like he forced you to be focused on these different things. He imposed speeches. Yeah, I, I, I had a course with him also. He yeah, took, he, took he was it. speaking three minutes. But he called them every speech is an imposed speech, except for if you're the headliner. <laughs> he said everything else is three minutes, and that's it. <laughs> In one sentence, describe c- clearly what you want to say. Yeah, we did it one time also. It was, it was it, the, the, the person before him rambled on for who knows how long. Now, finally, Rav gets up to speak. Everyone wants to hear Rav but Rav looked at him, he says, he says, the temperature is high, the site is spät, it's hot in the hall, it's very late. A dank for kumen, a gutenacht, and he sat down. That was, right. He was like, you know, so, so structure, what's the opening, what's the message, what's the closing? Time spent in planning speech, time spent in, pla- in practicing delivery. We had to give this in before we spoke. How many times did you practice the speech? He would always practice his speech. So I told him, so, you know, the, the group was 14, 14 people. It was 12, you married Yigolite, and it was two Bacher, myself and a Bacher of Chicago Tells, something Friedman, I forgot his first name, Russian Friedman's only dad who came in. And we were staying in the dorm. The camp culture was going on at the same time. We were staying in the dorm, which was also being used by the camp. So it, it, there were seven hours of classes a day. You had to write your speech. You had to practice it. So I finished writing the speech at 12 o'clock at night, finally, you know. So I finally finished writing it and I had to practice it. So I went back out besides, behind the, 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 the dormitory, facing the, the woods over there, and I'm delaying this drush, you know, practicing it you know, again and again and again. Some counselors come out, they're going for a midnight swim to the pool, and they see me like talking to the trees. And they like walk around, they give me this like weird look, like, what's wrong with this guy? And that was it. So that Shabbos, his first wife, Allah Shalom, uh, came to join her for Shabbos. So I, you know, I've been at the house many times. So I, so I, I worked, worked over at Shabbos soon. I said, you know, you know what your husband did to me, right? So I told her that what, what he'd done to me. You know, the, the, the guy thought I was crazy. She says, I'll tell you a story. She gets a phone call from uh, like an acquaintance of hers, like hemming and hawing, uh, you know. So, so she says, like, can, like, is, is something you want to share with me? Like, 
I don't know how to say this, but you know, I, I saw your husband like having giving a major address to the dogs in the park the, the, today. I, I think you know maybe you should like check to make sure he's okay. He's paddling his speech to the park, and there's some dogs there. Like it looked like he was talking to the dogs, you know, like you know. And we are here gathered, like you know, like talking. So like you know, so she's. Um, you know the joke about the, the, the story about you know the person. He preferred if you can pass your speech on that actual place where you're giving it. It's even better. So he was speaking once in Toronto. He told me after they told him the story. He says I was speaking in Toronto and I was able to get the, the, the access to the hall. So it's an empty hall. I'm speaking from practicing the speech in front of the hall. And uh, all there's is a cleaning lady. This cleaning lady like you know moving back and forth. Finally she she pipes. She says, Mister, I don't know what. You're selling, but I'm not buying. <laughs> I'm not buying. So he had his share of, but that was like this idea of very practical down to earth. But he moved. I, I, to, to the life of me, there's no way I could have said hello to all the Rebbitsons in a grand total of less than an hour. Each one I would spend about an hour and a half with, you know. You schmooze, you connect, you know, like boom, 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 boom. But he accomplished, he published, I don't know, 15 books in his life. He gave these programs all over the country. He was a major motivational speaker. He developed all of this, a lot of this stuff. This is copyrighted. The, the, the Nambas of Personal Achievement, Developing a Maximum Personal Growth. Um, he had cassettes that he put out in those days. It was cassettes. That was the end thing in those days. Um, and... Uh, so it was fascinating. The person recreated himself. He became the major force. He created this idea of the seed program. So I'll tell you one little story. But in 1982, uh, the yeshiva did a seed program. So the primary place that the yeshiva went to was Columbus, Ohio. That was really the forerunner, which eventually developed into Columbus Carlo, was because of the seed program in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they did a seed program in Caracas, Venezuela, two summers. There's, there's one broker from Caracas who spoke Spanish, and he basically trained the guys in some, some basic Spanish. The guys didn't speak a word of Spanish. They went to, they went to Caracas. For, Twelve guys went to Caracas for two weeks in the summer. Uh, but this but this occasion was there was a CPRM program going to Winnipeg, Winnipeg in Canada. And he came to speak as the the person who's was running the seed programs across the country, in charge of it, um, he came to speak to the Bokram who were going. And he said the following. He said, over in the name of Rebellious Faith, he says, the, if there's a, let's understand what the goal over here is. So Rebellious said that the goal is taking a group of 10, 12, usually it was 10 Bokram and like two young lights, so these you know, wives, they were you know, couples, they could interface with the couples. The main goal is to sit and learn in the city. Even, even if you did not interface with one person the whole time you were there, nobody walked in, you were successful. Because you put Torah in a community for two or three weeks, it affects the, the condition of the community. That's number one. So your goal is not to outreach it. Now, they're usually the schedule of the Sunday programs were that they would learn at first Seder, they would dive with the shul, they would learn first Seder, they would have some type of activity in the afternoon. The guys would do, you know, baseball game, boating, something in the afternoon. And then at the nighttime, they would learn with the, learn, learn the community. And sometimes they would add in some type of a, some type of summer camp type of a thing in the afternoon for some of the local kids. But that, but that was the standard schedule. But his point was that that's, that's, that's icing on the cake. So like, so that you, it, was, it was a very eye-opening thought process. 
you know, because the guy came back, you know, only a few people showed up. So they're so disappointed. Nothing to be disappointed about. That wasn't the goal. You have to find what your goal, what your target is. Um, and he believed in that, you know, that the power of Torah being in his community would change something. It's fascinating. You look at his children. His oldest son uh, is a manal of a school. He started a school in Lakewood. Um, or, uh, I think it's Orchus Chaim is the name of the school. He felt it needed a little bit of a different flavor than the school needed. So he said, okay. You believe in something, build it. The... The Lakewood has created many different column across the country, um, and the two individuals which are in charge of re- re- helping develop and create these column is a person named Yaakov Shulman and a person named Shalom Atansky, who's the son-in-law of Rabbi Shulman. Those are the two people who run that, who basically create column across the country, etc., etc., etc. Like that's the, the family was imbued with the the, belief, the, the the ideals of the father of you can build you can you can accomplish one individual can accomplish a tremendous amount if they're creative and they're thinking and, they, and they're open-minded and they can find ways of doing things. If you put the goals on the dreams on paper, then you can figure out okay how can I translate this into reality? You can translate things into reality, and uh, he was a tremendous mentor of mine in that regard. Um, he shared a thought that um, he was one. Point, he was one point in time. He was uh, like notice like he was becoming more negative. So, trying to find, like what was going on. So he realized that he was carpooling into the city from Muncie, and the the standard operating procedure of the people in the, the carpool was the quetch. So if you sit with the people, people which are quetching for an hour and a half uh, each way, five days a week. You're going to become a catch also. So he said it made it, he said it was worth, more, more worthwhile for him to drive himself and he could listen to cassettes and the spatial things and the shurim and tar, et cetera, than sit in an hour and a half in the car with people, which are catches. Like, you know, this is the reality, but like, I don't want to be that person. So, so then make yourself different. Uh, figure, out what, figure out how you can change something, to make, what you can do to make something different. Uh, and that was his overall approach. Um, in his later years, you know, he wasn't buying the kids uh, drab green uh, suits anymore because um, the Baruch Hashem was a little bit better. His, his first represent passed away fairly young um, and uh, he remarried. Uh, actually, his present wife, the one that's the sitting ship right now, the, um, she has a granddaughter here in the Carlo. Yaakov Yakovson's wife has a granddaughter. To step, step granddaughter, um, so but uh, I, I, I sometimes even when I would go, I would even actually stay over, stay with them as opposed to staying elsewhere. I would actually stay by their house. They lived across the street from the volunteer fire department, the Muncie volunteer fire department. So the way a volunteer volunteer fire department works is there's nobody staying in the firehouse. That's why I worked over there. Is and they had a, they had a foghorn. Which they would blow, which was heard across all of Muncie. Which, when, when there was a fire, that would call the volunteers to come, and they would come, etc. So I'm staying in this house. Middle of the night, there is a fire. So this this horn goes off. It's it's right across the street. I mean, you're talking about you know, 25, 30 feet away. I. Went through, the, you know, they have pictures like the comic strips, like, you know, the person goes through the ceiling, or the, the shape of a person going through the ceiling. That's what happened to me. 
I, I was sitting on the top of a bunk bed, and I, and I, and I, I went. To, I almost hit the roof. They all slept through it. The pasha did not hear it. Like you see the power of everything. Like, like, like the power being like you guys. Nobody woke up except for me. Like nobody. You get accustomed to that. You know that's a, But eventually, their house was bought out. It's now the the the, the Hatsola has an ambulance uh, station. That's their house, which they lived on. But the, now, the, now the ambulance station there in Muncie. Yeah, it's like a it's across the street from the volunteer firehouse is the volunteer. The, the, they think they have two or three ambulances that stay there. They moved, they moved to a different place afterward. It was still in Muncie. Um, so that's a, I just you know just to figure that it's it's during the Kufa Bishiva. Um, I'm not going to be able to get up to Muncie to be Menachem Just. That can work out. So, uh, so just you know, if you want to tie into the parsha, just in, in in many ways, you know, a, a thousand times, you know, s- smaller. Like, you know, you have the picture of Ramavino. Like, you know, he has a dream. He has he believes in something, and he's gonna make it happen. And uh, like, he wasn't spoiled. He wasn't overwhelmed like, with the fact that everybody thought he was you know a dreamer. Uh, the Padre Rav, they once told the Padre Rav, but he, he was in Bnei Brak, and uh, Bnei Brak was this desolate place. It was, you know, a few hills of sand, etc. And he's standing there describing that there's going to be this big yeshiva over here on top of this hill. There's going to be this, this, this basic assignment for, for girls over here. And they told him, says, you know, the, the Rav, you know, the Cholom's, you're dreaming. It's not going to happen. You know. She says, I'm asking I'm dreaming, but I'm not sleeping. Right? So, and, and everybody thought he's crazy. Um, he, he built a gigantic building on this hilltop. Never going to fill it. They started, they started, they had, they had 10 bachrim. And actually, was a yid here in the in, the, in Shomer. I don't remember his name. Like, he had, he had grandchildren who lived here, and Sefiyomov. He was uh, he retired, whatever. You know, he needed to move into a place which was near the family. Um, he was a Yiddish speaker, so I was able to communicate with him, and so he enjoyed communicating with me. Uh, he was one of the the ten brachim that Panam Yeshiva was started with. Nineteen forty four, they started the yeshiva. Is this this little old kid living in the, the the towers over here, coming to Shomrei to Dav, and he's one of the ten people that that Panovich Yeshiva. I don't remember his name. I can picture him. I can't remember his name. Uh, that that he was in Eretz at that point in time, and uh, he said he was the youngest of the group, and that they they started Panovich Yeshiva together with these ten bachurim. Okay, that was a find. <laughs> so I shoot with him a little about you know about that that world you know. But that's the that, you, that you, these people who are dreamers, they, they, they saw something bigger, but they weren't sleepers. They were wide awake. And you could, tra- you could translate a dream into a reality by doing that. Uh, at some point in life, we started to get stuck when we stopped dreaming. And the Chizrubabi was that that was his whole life he was doing that. He was pumping out new, new ideas, new books, new inspirational speeches, now, this this folder comes with like rooms for cassettes, built into the folder. So you, nowadays, like, what's a cassette? But they were like, like 
We didn't have any cassettes with that, but, but he used the same folder. When you, it was a slip thing, you could put a different, you know, different things inside the front. There are other types of things we were doing, which he had cassettes for. So, um, those are some recollections.